Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to the Unheard podcast. Unless you've been on summer holiday and staying away from the news for the past week, which was probably a good idea, you'll have seen this story about Britain's Nigel Farage being debanked from posh bankers Coots and Company. As is his particular talent, Nigel has made a huge amount of hay out of this story. Lots of people have already stepped down from their jobs, and he started a whole new campaign group to represent debanked persons. We thought instead of talking to Nigel about this story, you can catch him pretty much everywhere else, we found someone else who has recently been debanked. Hers is a more intriguing case because the reasons given were her Russian connections and supposedly being a politically exposed person. Her name is Countess Alexandra Tolstoy. Yes, she is from the same family as Russia's greatest novelist, Leo Tolstoy. And she joined me to talk about her life as an English person with a Russian name. Hi, Alexandra. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell us what happened to you then. You're, you're, you're living your life in England. You're banking with NatWest. And what happens next? I'm a single parent. I've got three children. And seven years ago... The father of my children, who is a Russian oligarch, ran away to France and he abandoned us in all senses, like financially, every single way. So I moved to NatWest and started up a new life, really. I run a travel company. I take people riding to Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia. And I have a small antiques company. Um, but I was running at this stage. They weren't companies. I was just running them through my, you know, I was a single, what's it called? A well, self-employed person running them through my personal accounts. And I was with NatWest for seven years. No, I have no payments from the father of the children. No, obviously no payments from Russia. Nothing, 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 nothing. And literally out of the blue, three months ago, I got a letter saying, uh, we will be closing your accounts. We do not have to give a reason and we won't be giving a reason, but they are closing down in two months. And it's terrifying. It's like being told your electricity is going to be cut off or you're in the middle of winter, you know, or your water is going to be cut off. It is that crucial to have a bank account because I have no other bank accounts. I have three. And even if I was a single you know, person, how do you buy food? How do you pay rent? How do you pay your utility <clears throat> bills? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I tried to appeal to NatWest, kept writing to them. I had a personal manager and I kept saying, please, please just be human. Can you tell me what have I done? And is there anything that I can appeal against? I think you must have made a mistake. And they was they wouldn't answer me. They didn't even answer. This personal manager would not even respond to my calls, my text messages, my emails, having been, you know, all over me, like, do you want to buy this ISA? Do you want to invest your money? Um, so then I just thought, as I'm sure thousands of other people do, 
oh gosh, how there's no point in, I'm not going to waste my time on that. I'm going to focus on opening a new account somewhere. And I managed to open a digital account with another bank. Um, but absolutely terrified. Which bank was that? Well, I don't want to say because I'm so scared that they're going to get wind and maybe they use the same data, whatever this data is. So I did manage to get with them. So have you had any communication at all from them since? So then what happened was, um, I was very lucky that I spoke to a friend of a, oh, I spoke to someone I knew and I said, well, I don't know what this is just awful. He said, you can send in an SAR, which we all now know about. It's the subject access request, where by law they have to send you every single bit of data they have ever held on you. Um, so you not only do it to NatWest, but you do it to these big data companies like WorldCheck, who's a big famous one. So I submitted it all. WorldCheck did get back to me and said, on the basis of some Daily Mail articles, you are classified as a politically exposed person and you live in Monaco and you're married to a Russian oligarch. And I wrote back just a little email and said, this is completely untrue. You can check the electoral roll. You can check um, HMRC. I do not live in Monaco and I am not married and never was married to a Russian oligarch and have no contact with that person. And they wrote back and said, okay, fine, we'll delete that. And I went, so you're deleting me as a PEP? And they went, yeah, don't worry, you're no longer a PEP. That's a politically exposed person. Which is a very, I mean, it's, you know, a horrible, dirty thing from now, from what we know, because it means you can't have a bank account. So I wrote back to NatWest and said, I've now found out that the data you use is false and I've had it cleared. So could you now please address the situation and apologize? And by this time I was emailing um, Alison Rose because someone had told me, like you emailed the the CEO. She didn't reply. And one of her minions said, I've been appointed to reply to you. And no, we never classified you as a PEP, but we're not going to tell you why we closed your accounts down and we have no reason to speak to you or to explain ourselves. We're just not going to. So I'm now still stuck in this ridiculous situation where I I still don't know why they shut my accounts down. As far as you know, it was something to do with this connection to the parent of your children, the father of your children, who you were with for many years, who is, by your own description, a, a Russian oligarch. Yeah, but he's a French citizen. He's not sanctioned. And I have not had a penny from him. So, I mean, there's nothing. I'm not money laundering for sure. And I don't speak to him. And even if I did, I mean, I don't. But I mean, why would that be a reason not to have a bank account? You know, I'm a single parent of three children. And I'm a UK citizen. I pay UK taxes. I have not committed a crime. So I think what what's interesting about your case, which is a bit different to what happened to Nigel Farage, is that it also brings in this question of Russia and, and the kind of attitude to Russians uh, that has happened since the war broke out last year. Um, have you noticed in other kind of parts of your life that, that people are more sceptical or hesitant about what is a very famous Russian name because since uh, the invasion in Ukraine? Yeah, well, I'm, I've been very publicly open that I'm obviously deeply against what Russia's doing. And I suppose I'm lucky because I'm, I sound British, or I am British. Um, and Tolstoy is very obviously, I mean, he was such a you know, an anti-war figure that it would be quite difficult to tarnish me with anything to do with that. But I, the person who helped me to get the SAR re, um, request form, he work, helps a lot of Russians. And it is really tough for a lot of Russians because a lot of them are in the UK because they're really against the war. And yet they are not allowed to bank out just because they are Russian. And obviously that 
is not right. Yours is a little bit different because I guess you you did spend time in Moscow. You were very close. The the person we're talking about here, who you now say you you no longer see, is sometimes described or used to be described as Putin's banker. Uh, He made a fortune after the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, was close to now President Putin. And, you know, you, you were living in Moscow. Is that right? So we lived in Moscow for... Well, I lived in Moscow a lot before I met him. And then we left Moscow in 2011. Um, I mean, his bank accounts are completely functioning as far as I know. He lives, you know, an extremely rich and opulent life in the south of France and has Swiss bank accounts. He hasn't had a problem. So it seems pretty ridiculous that I have. Uh, but it, and what was what was amazing was that when I saw this NatWest research, they produced this document. It, and so they did. They sent my data back, but way too late. And it wasn't really data. It was just some a very low-quality kind of hash thing of various articles they found on Google. And they they described me as a cousin of Leo Tolstoy. I think they literally thought I was a contemporary of Leo Tolstoy. And they said I come from a very wealthy family. I mean, all sorts of just primitive mistakes that you could... You only have to check one official source and you'd find it wasn't true. So... I mean, you are you are you are a, a from the main Tolstoy line, though. That's right. I'm a relative, but I'm obviously not a first cousin. He lived in the 19th century, but they didn't mm. even seem to know that. What is interesting here, I think, is that families such as yours that have been both Russian and British have, for decades, maybe even centuries, moved between Russia and Europe uh, as part of the same sort of hemisphere. And now suddenly it's a, it's a different hemisphere and, and it's not possible to move between them. I just wonder if you could tell us what that feels like. I, that is crazily ironic, I feel like, the path of my family. You know, within three generations, my grandfather, when he was seven, he fled the Bolshevik Revolution because he was going to be killed. He's the son, you know, of a noble family. And just purely because of his birth, he was going to be killed. So he lived in hiding in Kazan in the east of Russia for about two years from 1917 to 90, or three years until 1920, um, hidden by this, the servants who'd worked on his parents' estate, um, who were very loyal and looked after him. He managed to escape with his English governess to England and was given refugee status here. So then he obviously never went back. Well, you know, he did go back to Russia in his much older age, but he hated Russia. You know, it was it was the country that killed most of his relatives, that, you know, was responsible for the most horrific, awful things. Um, but then my father became, I suppose it's inevitable, he became very, very interested about his heritage. And the Tolstoys are obviously a particularly creative and interesting family. So he, and he was a historian, so he wrote about them and he became, and he wrote a lot about Russian history, particularly about Stalin. So he did start to go and visit in probably in the 90s. But then at that age, I was 18, I just finished school. And he said, right, this is the opportunity. Finally, we can go back. It's so exciting. The Iron Curtain has come down and Russia is reopening. And it's, you know, this is amazing. And I wasn't really that interested, but I went for six months and I completely fell in love with it. And with me, quite a lot of these descendants, like me, of white Russians who left during the revolution, they also went back to Moscow. And there was quite a lot of us who were, like, a lot of them were bankers or, and a lot, I hadn't had that, but a lot of them had grown up speaking Russian. So they had this amazing advantage of speaking Russian, but having, they'd studied in Western universities. There was that, it was a sort of hopeful moment for liberal Russians in the, after the 90s. And, and, and that's when you actually moved there. 
so I moved there and it felt like, it felt like I also lived in New York briefly in the mid nineties. And it felt a bit the same. Like it was a land of opportunity. Um, Russians were so dynamic and they were so quick to adapt and excited. And there's a lot of opportunity. Yes. To do a lot of different things. You must have slightly sensed this other side happening at the same time. Now, if the guy you were going together with, the father of your children, was, was so close to Putin, did you not get a sense of this, this more hard-edged side to the Russian government? I had a decade being in Russia before I even met him. More. I first went in 92, and I didn't meet him until 2008. So I had a really long time getting to know Russia. And actually, when I first lived there, I was... I lived with this very famous actor and I was much more in the sort of intelligentsia of Moscow, which is a very creative and exciting, but, n- you know, obviously nothing to do with oil or any kind Politics. of... Politics. No, not, definitely not political and definitely not to do with money, really. Uh, and then it was a very random meeting with Sergei that I met him through someone I knew who worked for him. And then I was launched into this other world. And yes, pretty quickly I thought, oh, but I had, you know, it was... Yeah, it was very frightening. And I thought, what, what am I doing? This is just not my world. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So that other world is the world of the oligarchs that are surrounding Vladimir Putin. It's the world where this huge amount of money was made very, very quickly. And tell us a little bit about what life was like in that world. All the, the closest I feel I see an allegory of it is actually watching Narcos because it was completely crazy and it really was lawless. And you also felt it was kind of like a kindergarten that these people, like Sergei, he didn't really know what he was doing. He didn't know how to run a business. I'm sure some of them did, 
But he, it was all just, you know, he was like a deal broker. So he made uh, big deals and I suppose being given a lot in return. And, and, but also it was, even though I was with him, I really had very, very little access. He didn't, you know, I think he didn't tell me a lot of stuff that was going on. He didn't let me meet many people who were involved in that world. And, but you definitely felt, especially compared to the Russians I had previously, you know, who had been my, or still have remained my friends. Um, it was a completely and utterly separate world from, from them. And I'm not sure, like, you know, in the UK, I don't feel there's this separate world. So he was almost living kind of double life between these two worlds. Yeah, and they had their own, you know, they had their own laws, really. They didn't obey any kind of law. They, you know, I, I remember him once saying, I heard him on the phone saying, oh, yes, give him that Mercedes. You know, and that was just a normal everyday bribe. You just bribe your way around. I think later I found out that Sergei had been in prison in his 20s. But he managed to wipe all records. But you didn't know he'd been in prison, even though you were together for all those years? No, I found out after. And he took, and the reason I found out, because he paid to have the internet completely wiped of every trace of it. And then he fell out with Putin, and then it all came out and, and was released in the press. So I found out like that. So why, I mean, obviously, I'm not asking for personal details of your relationship here, but was part of the reason that you left, uh, that you were kind of freaked out by this other world? absolutely terrified so I wanted to leave long before but he was a very very controlling and frightening person and we lived like prisoners really he had armed bodyguards all the time um he would especially when we were in France he'd lock us in so I couldn't get out couldn't get the children out he would always threaten to take the children away from me and I was really held hostage so then when he suddenly ran away from the UK he wasn't he was under a court order not to leave the UK and he ran away um and then he kind of completely misplayed the thing. He thought that I would follow, but I didn't follow. And for me, it was an opportunity. I, the, you know, this was just, he then got a prison sentence in the UK for two years. And it meant I was completely free. And what I. For what? For contempt of court, because they said, don't leave the country. Um, because he was in the middle of a whole court process and he just ran away. But, you know, the summer before that, he'd been giving my son a gun to play with. I mean, it really was like, like um, some crazy Colombian situation where, and you know, the bodyguard coming to me and saying, your son shouldn't be playing with a gun because there's ammunition everywhere. My son was seven. And, but there was nothing I could do. I said, please, please don't do this. But I'm completely powerless. And I, I was just, I was sick of it and wanted. And do you have no contact with him anymore? Or do, do the kids have contact with him? No, he tried to abduct the children. And it's, no, it's just very, very frightening. He, he wants to get the children, keep them. And there have been awful cases of this amongst other Russians. So... Looking back, was there a, a, a sort of tinge of excitement about the whole thing? Is that Do you think that's part of what attracted you to him, that there is this sort of slightly gangsterish thing going on? No, because he doesn't present like that at all. He's very tall and very distinguished. He comes across as very intellectual, very, very charming, and very... Um, he speaks beautiful Russian. You know, like a lot of those Russians will speak really, really crude, basic Russian. And he's very witty... And very rich, dare I say. No, but that wasn't, no, because actually I've chosen, you know, I absolutely chose not to be with him. And I've had to, it's a real struggle. I've brought up three children on my own. So he didn't, he didn't give you any money? He has not given me a penny since 2015. Not a penny. And we were kicked out of our house. I've had to rent a house. I had to sell my belongings. I just want to ask one other question about the wider family, because it's such a famous name. And there are other members of the family who are closer to Putin 
And I wonder if that complicates things further. His uh, his sort of chief cultural advisor is a is a descendant of Leo Tolstoy, who I guess is a cousin of yours. He's a cousin, and I know him. So there's Vladimir, who's his chief cultural advisor, who um, he runs the estate of Yasna Polyana, where Leo Tolstoy lived. And we used to, before all this happened, we used to have this lovely thing every two years. We had a, a gathering of all the Tolstoys from all over the world um, would gather for a week there, and it was wonderful. And he's a very nice. I can't. I I haven't been in touch with him since the war. I would find it very strange to think that he was pro the war, but I guess like it's just. I for- believe he is on record for being pro the war. Okay. Um, I don't have much respect for that, but. You know, then who am I to judge? You with, you know, a lot of Russians have said that to me. Who are you to judge? You know, you don't live here. You have no idea how terrifying it is. And it's like during Soviet times, you have to do everything you can to survive for your family. But the one I'm really, really against is Peter Tolstoy. Have you heard of him? Who's head yes. of the Duma. And he is completely, I mean, he's crazy. But, uh, and he has said the most appalling things. And he's even tried so to. So he's make- very close to the president. I don't think they even are close. And actually, weirdly, he worked for Sergei, the father of my children, and stole a million dollars from him as a, I was very boring, sort of as a bribe from, he took a bribe from someone that was meant to be paid to Sergei, and he just took it, and he got fired. And now he tries to make out he's this great Christian, you know, patriotic crusader. He's a complete phony. But there's also Fyodor Tolstoy, who, Fyodor is a famous TV presenter, and she has been incredibly brave. So she and her mother, at the very beginning, did a kind of YouTube thing saying, this is awful, this shouldn't be happening. Um, and, mm. but, you know, I wrote to her and I said, how can, her, her, her first cousin is Peter, the crazy one. And I said, you know, how can this be happening? It's so appalling. And she said, in our family, we don't talk about politics. Um, we just don't discuss it. But in my family, yeah, we're obviously not. I wonder if it's almost like any war situation, maybe. I mean, if you've, if the, the Tolstoy family was a, a German name and war broke out with the Nazis in 1939, you know, probably would have been similar. I don't know if they would have been debanked or not, but uh, it, it's always been awkward when you have a foot in more than one country and those countries pretty much go to war. Yeah, so my grandfather, when he came to Russia, to England, um, he was only seven, but then when he grew up, he had children. And he they were christened, Nic- my father's called Nikolai, and then my other uncle's called Andre. And he suddenly made them anglicize their names and called them Nicholas and Andrew. And he didn't speak Russian at home because he didn't want to with them because he thought it's much better, he wanted to assimilate. Um, so it is crazy how we've got... But I have not done that with my children. I've just said... And my children, it's interesting, you know, some Russians claim that at school their children have been harassed and teased or whatever. My children have never been, ever, ever, ever. And they have their father's surname, you know, they sat, their names are completely Russian, they speak Russian, and I've absolutely continued. We still, they still learn Russian, still read Russian books. So if, final question on this, if you had, if, it, if you were still spending Sergei's money, do you think it would have been fair enough to debank you? Um, if, if that money, which I sadly suspect it was, was from an illegal source, yes, I do think that would have been fair. Because that is, you know, if it's money laundering, of course I shouldn't have a bank account. Of course it shouldn't be money laundering. But if it's just a regular Russian person working as a, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Chichvarkin. 
who runs... No, tell me about him. So he's famous in England. He runs a restaurant called Hyde. He's got a few restaurants. And he's been extremely vocal opponent of Putin. In fact, I think he's come here as a, not as a refugee, but as a, you know, he's got political asylum. And his wife told me his bank accounts were shut down. And that doesn't really seem right. What would you like to happen? Look, kind of zooming out then. Obviously, you've made your views on the invasion very clear. What outcome do you, do you hope for um, when, when you look at this situation? The bank accounts will become like in, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know which countries, but outside the EU, where it is a human right to have a bank account, just as it is a human right to use electricity or to visit the NHS. It is not based on your political views, on your background or any other kind of information. It just is. And of course, if you're money laundering, no, you shouldn't have a bank account. But apart from that, I don't see why anyone, you know, when we live in this age where you just cannot, you know, if I started saying, I want to use cash to run my business. I, I really would be money laundering, but I can't, mm. you know, what am I meant to do? How am I meant to exist and feed three children? And what do, you, what do you hope to happen regarding the war? Oh, regarding the war, I think we're absolutely right to support Ukraine. And it's just absolutely tragic. But of course, I want Russia to stop. They're not only, I mean, it's just horrific what they're doing in Ukraine, but they're also destroying their own country. Do you think you'll ever go back? Um, not while this war's happening, no. So I work a lot in Kyrgyzstan and Central Asia, which was obviously part of the former Soviet Union and Russian Empire. 300,000 young Russians have come there, you know, which is, is a tiny city. And these are the young, dynamic IT people of Russia who is, yeah, crazy. No, I, I would never go back on principle now. And, you know, I know some people who've sort of gone back and they say, oh, but Moscow feels like it's normal. And I said, that's just disgusting. Why would you want to be there? Putin has made every attempt to make Moscow feel completely normal and not like the rest of the provinces where people, most villages will have had someone killed. Are you going to be downplaying your Russian connections from now on? Or do you feel as proud as ever of them? No, I feel really proud. And I speak Russian most days. I read Russian every day. Uh, I've still got Russian friends. My children, are, you know, I read them a lot of Russian literature. So no, definitely not downplaying. Alexandra Tolstoy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. That was Countess Alexandra Tolstoy Miloslavsky, a very English-sounding person with a very Russian name. Her story seems to bring together two things. There's the increasingly risk-averse and judgmental corporate world. The only thing they seem to care about is to stay on the right side of whatever the current thing is, to stay out of trouble, even if it means withholding vital services, and then also there's this overnight casting of anyone with Russian connections as a new untouchable class. Amazing to think that it wasn't very long ago that Alexandra was in Moscow, moving proudly between the Russian world and the Anglosphere. Feels like people won't be doing that again, at least probably not in my lifetime. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.